Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. And Goldschmidt hits it a ton out to deep right field. One hopper off the wall. Edmund will score. Goldie trots into second base with a double to score. Tommy Edmund, 1 0. St. Louis. Arenado slices one into the gap in right center. Carlson will score. Goldschmidt to third. And Nolan Arenado drives in his 31st, and it's 6 0 Cardinals. And the 0 1 pitch lined. Oh! Soso at the play. Outstanding. Takes a hit away from Kevin Newman. Ends it with a strikeout. Strikes out three in a row to finish off the Pirates in a two-game sweep in the final of 8-5. to five. Fun night at the ballpark. Welcome in. It's the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. BK is here. There's Tanner. And we're going to visit with Phil Garner coming up, former Major League player and manager. So looking forward to that. BK, good morning. What's going on, good buddy? Good morning, Dan. I was glued in last night on the NBA. So I'm sure you can tell me all about the Cardinals game. You kidding. gave I'm up. I'm kidding. I was going to say. I did see your tweet. Maybe the biggest shot in LeBron's One of history. I mean, it was. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Pretty damn good. Game He's winner. He's had some bigger shots. Oh, definitely. And, and it will all depend on... We're going to get into the Cardinals here in just a second, I promise. All right. Um, it'll depend on what happens from here. But this Lakers team was not healthy all season, and that's the only reason they were in the play-in tournament. Yeah, and you so, get him in the brow back, now you're elite. Yeah, and now you have a chance to win a title. And the fact that they were able to avoid the number one seed, the Jazz, which would have been a really tough matchup for the Lakers in the first round by winning that game, and that was the game winner that did it, it could end up going down as one of the biggest ones in his career. That being said, Dan, a big one last night for Jack Flaherty and the Cards. Yeah, Cardinals sweep the Pirates. They win 8-5. to five. Last night, Goldschmidt starting to heat up. Nolan being Nolan, he's an MVP candidate. Tommy Edmond doing his thing at the top of the lineup. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jack Flaherty. So Flaherty goes six innings, four hits, two earned, walked four. One of those was, uh, no, it was not intentional. He did walk four and struck out seven. So with that win, he becomes the first Cardinals pitcher since Hall of Famer Bob Gibson. He went 8-0 in his first nine starts. Now Flaherty's done that. Gibby did it back in 1965. And uh, Mike Schilt knows he's got an ace at the top of his rotation. Rare fried air, but Jack's put himself in position to, to, you know, start that climb towards that kind of career. You know, it's really about going brick by brick. But that's a um, that's an accomplishment that um, is really special and needs to be a applauded it does need to be applauded and what does it mean to jack flaherty eight wins and nine starts it means we're playing some pretty good baseball we're we're doing a pretty good job out there as a team you know what what guys were able to do able to put up eight runs and you know we're able to make that hold up offense was really good defense was really good today Uh, yeah i did a really good job uh, there especially with when we got in that base situation i bounced a few and you know he kept those in front which which was huge and then you know sosa was really good out there today too um, but up and down the order, everybody did. It was a really good job. So it just means we're playing some really good baseball. I guess if you're going to nitpick, and I will here, you'd like to you know, be a little bit more efficient. The four walks, he went six innings. Pitch count went well above 100. He gets ahead of a lot of hitters. He's 0-1, 1-2. 
Love to see him put him away so he could go deeper into games, especially with a big lead. At one point, it was 8-2. to two. That's nitpicking. The guy is 8-0. and oh. So say what you will about wins and losses and how you want to look at a pitcher, and most people want to look at ERA and innings and those kind of things and exit velocity against and all that. I mean, there's a ton of ways you can look at it. But he's 8-0, oh, so that means he's giving you a chance to win. He's giving you the five innings at least. Uh, again, like I said, I'm nitpicking, but Jack Flaherty is an ace, and he's one of the best right now in baseball. Yeah, I mean, we can discuss this any way anybody wants to. You want to look at the innings. Well, he's averaging six and a third per start throughout this eight-game stretch. You want to look at the ERA. All right, he's at a 1.65 ERA over these eight games where he's 8-0. You want to look at the batting average against? Okay, 175 batting average against. That'll play. OPS against less than 500. Any number you want to look at, the win-loss record is legit. There's a reason why he's been 8-0, and it's not just what he's getting in terms of the run support. Jack Flaherty has been not quite to the same level of 2019 second half. Jack close. Flaherty, pretty darn close to being that guy again. And I hope, Dan, we don't do what we did in the middle of the Carlos Martinez run where it was like, ah, we could adjust. If we could just get a little more... Let's appreciate this while we got it, because Jack Flaherty's pitching pretty damn well right now. Cardinals 8-2 lead heading into the seventh of last night's game. So then they turned it into turned it over into the bullpen. It was Cody Whitley and then Tyler Webb. No other way to put it. They struggled, and Webb is really struggling right now. Cardinals had to use some of their big arms again. You had Cabrera come out of the pen. Alex Reyes uh, strikes out three after an initial walk in the ninth. Whitley, no out recorded. Two hits, three earned, walked one. Webb. Third of an inning, two hits, uh, no earned runs against him. The relievers that are not named, Henesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, or Alex Reyes, have had 43 and two-thirds innings. This is going to be a problem. It could be when those guys are down. And you're going to have times that they're down, you cannot go to them. Someone else has to step up. 43 and two-thirds, ERA over eight, 43 walks to 48 strikeouts. That is a problem. And so Cardinals are hopeful that Andrew Miller will throw tomorrow and again over the weekend see how he bounces back because you're using Cabrera in high leverage situations more times than not uh you've got to me maybe your other lefty do you have to look at it this way right now if it's a tough spot is Giovanni Gallegos he can get out lefties now you got to remember John Gant maybe going to the bullpen he can get lefties and righties out but Webb was really good seven of I think his first nine appearances came in the first two weeks, and he was unscored upon in seven of the nine. And I think he's given up a run and multiple hits in like seven of the last nine. So that's a little bit of a concern right now for the Cardinals. A little it's, bit. It's a huge concern for me just because of the innings that you, and the workload that you're putting on to these other guys, right? You could make it through if your underbelly of the of the bullpen was struggling a little bit as long as you didn't have to then go back to – Gallegos and Reyes and Cabrera every single time but right now you are Dan I do think this is going to be helped as you said when Andrew Miller gets back it's going to be helped when John Gant after this 17 game stretch likely gets bumped into the bullpen that'll help things Ponce is on his way back hopefully that will make things a little better you're getting those reinforcements but Eventually, you're going to need some of these guys to just start recording outs. They can't continue. The walks are the biggest thing. Yep. We've talked about it all year long. It's just non-competitive pitches. That's got to get better. I think the walk rate for the bullpen is something like 15%. That is historically extremely bad. high. Yeah, it is historically high. I think you haven't had something like that in 40, 45, 50 years out of a bullpen. Mike Schilt on his lefties and what needs to happen there. 
I mean, we're going to need some help on the left side. You know, Webby's had done a nice job for us in the past, and just in a rut that that um, he's showing signs of getting out of. I mean, you know, can I say I'm concerned? I mean, you know, look, it's a result-oriented deal, but guy's done it in the past, and we just got to get him in a spot that he's got to get in that groove where he's throwing consistent quality strikes. He does that, which he's done in the past. You know, he's he's more than the answer for us. But, yeah, we need to have – a compliment on that side is to go with Cabby. So that's one of the concerns. I'll give you a positive, though, to counter that, and that's Edmundo Sosa. Looked great last night. Has looked really good in back-to-back starts filling in for Paul DeYoung. The Pirates series, he went three for six, three runs, had a double, first extra base hit of his career, first uh, RBI of his career, too, and he only struck out once. He had two great plays at shortstop. Not many guys are going to get to that ball. The, the catch probability, even on those line drives, was minimal. He got to him. I've been telling you forever, this guy's really good with his glove. He's starting to show it. And when you have a John Gant on the mound or Jack Flaherty, that when he's right, he's going to strike out a bunch, but he's going to get ground balls. And Mundo Sosa is showing why he's here. He's done a nice job. He has. And, Dan, I'm very curious to see how this continues to go over the next seven to ten days while Paul DeYoung is out. I'm not saying he's going to replace Paul DeYoung. It's not going to. Paul DeYoung is your starting shortstop. I think the way you have to look at it is where do you get the at-bats for Carpenter? It, it, it takes the at-bats away from him because Tommy Edmond would go to short. And I wouldn't be totally opposed to Edmundo Sosa getting more playing time. You know, like it, we've seen over the last few years, Paul DeYoung, he's on fumes by the end of the season. If Edmundo Sosa can be a capable shortstop, he's been that defensively. If he can hit a little bit, which has been the biggest surprise to me, Dan, I think he's a guy that I would like to see start filtering in there a little bit more. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's twice a week but a little bit more often to be able to keep Paul DeYoung fresh. And hopefully that helps both of them stay better. Yeah. It's not a shot at Paul DeYoung. I mean, he's got a, you know, 30 home run season under his belt. Now it's been a struggle to begin this season and going back to last year and even the end of 2019, the numbers aren't great for Paul DeYoung. However, to your point, and I think it's spot on is that Paul has shown signs of wear and tear. He plays a ton by the end of the year. So if you can spot him here or there with Sosa, and give him a little breather, it might be beneficial for Paul DeYoung. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, it's worth at least experimenting with. And again, all of this is predicated on the fact that Edmundo Sosa is playing very well right now. If that if that wanes, if by the end of this 10, 13-day stretch, and we saw this early on from Kisner as well, we we're like, oh, he looks great behind the plate. He's hitting. This is great. Maybe he can spell Yachty a little bit more often. And then it started to fall off. Let's see what this looks like 10 days from now with Edmundo Sosa. But if it still looks like this or even close to this, yeah, he's a guy that deserves a little bit more playing time. He's capitalizing his, on his opportunity right now. If you have the nickname Scrap Iron, you're pretty gritty. <laughs> and so that's uh, that's Scrap Iron, Phil Garner. We're going to visit with Phil Garner coming up. 16-year Major League playing career. He was a three-time All-Star, part of the We Are Family team of the 1979 Pirates, played in Oakland, Pittsburgh, Houston, uh, the Dodgers, the Giants, and he managed for three different clubs as well, Milwaukee, Detroit, and Houston, and took Houston to the 2005 World Series where they were swept by the White Sox. So we'll visit with Phil Garner coming up. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Just left St. Louis, and we have a chance to visit with one of the great former Pirates, 1979 We Are Family World Champion, known as Scrap Iron, 16 years in the big leagues, manager with Milwaukee, Detroit, and Houston. There were some great battles between Houston and St. Louis back in the mid-2000s, and we say good morning and thank you to Phil Gardner. Phil, 
Thanks for being with us. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm doing. I'm doing fine. I'm sitting out on my backyard down here in, in a suburb north of Houston, and finally the rain stopped. So uh, it's very pleasant. You know, I, I need to say thank you. I, I'm on the Cardinal broadcast, and I was doing the games, and and you guys made that incredible run. Uh, when you were manager, they caught fire when you came on board, and I went and interviewed you after a game because I couldn't get a player, and I said, hey, Phil, and you looked at me like I had three heads, and I said, you mind doing an interview? You said, yeah, sure, we're winning. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> so, hey, thanks for doing it back then. Those were fun games. Those were fun teams, the Cardinals and the Astros back then. What was it like from your perspective? Well, it was fun. Uh, I, I think uh, most of us ballplayers in, enjoy good competition we like to beat teams uh you know once you're playing you want to you want to beat teams 10 to nothing all the time but when you run into really really good competition and teams that, that beat you as much or more than uh, uh than you beat them then it becomes a good rivalry and and when you, while you enjoy good competition you most players appreciate great plays and uh and and good athletes and that's what was going on between us and the Cardinals in those days, you know, you whipped us in 04 and we got you back in 05. So I, I think that, my, that right now I'm on top. So <laughs> I'm going to keep it that way. That's the way to look at it. There you go. Good, good way to look at it. Hey, Phil, I wanted to ask you about that 2005 NLCS. I know it ended up going really well for the Astros, but in game five, you had a moment that Cardinals fans have been talking a lot about over the last couple of weeks with the Albert Pujols news, the home run that he hit, off of Brad Lidge. Do you remember your perspective for that home run? What what was that moment like for you as you saw that moonshot? <laughs> well, I, I can't forget it. Unfortunately, my good friends that I, I played off with once or twice a week, they never failed to bring it up, usually once or twice a week for all these years. And, you know, um, yes, I remember the guy that pitched the pool hose and he hit the moonshot. So, Yes, I remember it vividly. Brad Lidge on the mound. We didn't want to walk him, even though I wish I had him now. But uh, the truth of the matter is, we knew if Brad Lidge got his slider in the middle of the plate and down around Pulos' ankles, he would have swung because we knew he was looking to hit a home run. We just didn't get it. We need, it needed to be about a foot lower, and we think we would have gotten him out. But uh, but that's the way it goes sometimes. It uh, uh, you make a, You make a pitch. It wasn't a bad pitch. But Pulhost just laid some wood on it. But you know, there's a there's another story on this that really that really spurred us on. I think, and um, you know, we had, we were really riding high, and there was all kinds of noise going on in in the in, in our ballpark at that time. Minute Maid was just you couldn't hear yourself think. It was wild and crazy. And when he hit that home run, you can see. I think they had a showed a picture of. Uh, Andy Pettit and goes, Oh my God, you know, and it took the air out of the building. I mean, it was going from crazy to nothing, just, just like that. Well, now we've got to get on the plane and go up to St. Louis, you know, to play the final game. And I don't know how that's going to go. I'm thinking all night, I don't sleep. I'm thinking up all night long, how I'm going to give a Newt Rotney speech to the boys before the game and get them all fired up and don't let them get too depressed. Well, we get on the plane. And as you guys know, when you get on a plane and fly, Usually with these 25 to 30-year-old guys, there's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of noise going on. There's card games being played. Well, it was as quiet as you could imagine on the plane flying up there. So we take off, and uh, the guy comes over. We think it's the captain comes over, this loudspeaker, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be a nice flight. 
to St. Louis today. We've got clear skies. And, oh, by the way, if you take a look on the left side of the airplane, you're going to see the ball that Albert Pujols hit last night. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be Brad Osmus on, on the microphone, and the plane erupted. And from that moment on, you know, there was noise. And, guys, it, it took all the pressure off. It took the pressure off of me of trying to make up a, a, a speech, you know. So I didn't say another word. I knew the boys were ready at that time. So it was great. Better. Brad Osmus saved the day for us. No doubt. Phil Garner is our guest and enjoyed a 16-year Major League career, and he was with those really good Oakland teams in the early mid-'70s and then the 1979 We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates, and then you managed. And I'm curious, Phil, are you watching the game now and you offer great perspective on this because you played at a high level, you played a long time, and then you're managing and you're starting to see the trickling in of analytics and reports and that kind of thing. And now analytics are so prevalent in the game today. So are you watching the game and, and what's what's it like from your perspective now? Well, there's there's certain parts that I uh, would change a little bit. I, I you know keep old school, but there's a lot of parts that I think are important. I think analytics are, are critical in our game. And a lot of people forget that that Chuck Tanner and uh, Earl Weaver, they used analytics. They just didn't have a computer they put it on, but they had computer brains. And don't let anybody kid you. Uh, Yogi Berra had a computer brain. So much talk about Yogi Berra, about, you know, he said a lot of things that didn't make sense, and you didn't know whether it was dumb or brilliant. And, And But what Yogi did is he had great game sense. He could remember what what a guy hit off of uh, one of his pitchers 10 years ago. And if you sat beside Yogi in the game, he may not say a word for three or four innings. And all of a sudden he said, we need to throw a curveball right here. And sure enough, if you don't throw one, the guy's going to hit it. And you can see he he had a computer for a brain. So I don't mind the analytics. As a matter of fact, um, there's a company called Inside Edge that that, uh, I think some of the main television station used for a while myself and inside edge developed the matrix that showed albert Pulhose was one of the guys that we had the key on and we put a matrix that had nine boxes three boxes across the top of the strike zone three boxes across the middle and three boxes across the bottom well if you look at albert Pulhose's pitches and we had like four thousand pitches uh, facing Pulhose. He was dead red, uh, which meant he hit over 300 in every box but one, and it was a down and in box, and he hit like 250 in that box. Mm. So the moral of that story is don't pitch to Albert Pujols, and I didn't learn that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we used analytics. We had, you know, we had we knew that Roger Clemens was going to add a one and one count. He was going to throw a split 86 percent of the time. So I told my players, I gave them that information. We had over 3,600 pitches that he had. And so we knew it was good data. So I called a meeting with my players. I said, okay, boys, how many of you like to hit a, a split off of Roger Clemens? And nobody raised their hand. <laughs> and so I said, all right, here's the deal. When you get a one-on-one count tonight, he's going to throw you a split. And more likely than not, it's going to be a ball. So when you get to one-on-one, shut your eyes, put your bat on your shoulder, don't even think about it. Well, we had four situations with one-on-one night, and all four were balls, all four were splits, and we swung at all four of them. So. <laughs> I don't know what I was uh, thinking by trying to give them that advanced information, but Saber Matrix does work. But it's still a person. It's it's a people game. Players are human beings, and they respond to human beings. You know, inspiring them, um, 
treating them like like men, uh, ex- having expectations from them. So I, I believe in the in the numbers, but I also believe in in how you treat your players and how you get more out of them than just sheer numbers can show. We're talking to Phil Gardner here on 101 ESPN. And Phil, you mentioned there are some changes that you would like to see in the game at, at the beginning of that answer there. And one for me that's been kind of tough to watch, honestly, I love no hitters. It's it's an awesome thing when they're not four over the course of 15 days. And that's what we've seen so far this year. Uh, Phil, what do you make of this trend? Is this something that we are going to see more of moving forward? Or do you think this is just kind of a a one-off that as we go along this season, it's not going to be as prevalent? I I tend to think it might might be more common. And, and I think you probably agree with me that the reason we like uh, no hitters is because it was a rare feat. It was extremely difficult to accomplish. So we, you know, you appreciate the the effort and the rarity of it. it. It's just hard. It's hard. It used to be hard to do, and so we appreciate that. And that's one of the things that I wish it did not change in our game. Uh, the Saber Matrix has made it a point. Uh, Jeff Lunau down here was uh, famous for saying one time that strikeouts didn't matter. That that's what the new cyber matrix will tell you. Well, that's because he never managed. If you manage and, and you're in a tie ball game in the ninth inning, and you got a runner at third base with nobody out and three guys strike out, your manager's livid. You're just livid. All we want you to do is put in the play. Just get it out there. That's the easiest thing. And, and I used to have a saying with my players, look, I, let me tell you how important this is. And I know that every one of you can do this. If I take your firstborn son, and this is a little bit dramatic, but if I put a gun to his head and said, if you don't make contact, I'm going to shoot your firstborn son. Now, that's dramatic. I, I grant you. But I guarantee you, you wouldn't swing from your butt if you, if you had that on the line. So I'm saying you can make an adjustment. You can do something different when you get to two strikes or when you've got a runner on third and all you got to do is put in play. You don't have to hit home run. So – you know, these things I would like to see. I just don't like to see guys standing up there and swinging as hard as they can every every time. I think situational hitting is still important in our game, and I wish that I think Saber Matrix has taken that out of the game. And it also makes it more of a personal game. It, it means, for me, some of these um, things that you look at a player, like home runs and and uh, and how well you drive the ball and all that. It's all about the batter. Well, it's not really. It's all about how the batter fits into the team. If you play this game like a team, if you can make contact and move runners from second to third, and if the guy backing you up does his job in getting it into play, it's a more interesting game for me, and I think it works. And by the way, teams that win typically do that. You know, to, If you look in the playoffs, Every year, the guys that have moved runners and driven them in from third by just getting a fly ball or a ground ball, they're the ones that usually end up winning. It's just not to bludgeon teams every night. So it's gotten lost a little bit. I wish it uh, – that's one of the things I'd like to change. And I I wish the no-hitters were not as common, (laughs) but I'm afraid it's going to be. You know, Phil, I was talking, um, and Phil Gardner is our guest, and thanks for doing this, Phil. I was talking to the late, great uh, Milo Hamilton one time, and I said – well, who are your favorite guys? You know, you had this long career. Who's one of your favorite guys? He said, oh, I love Scrap Iron. I love Phil Garner. I said, did you give him that nickname? He said, well, kind of. Maybe you can clear this up for me. But he said, kind of, sort of. He said it was Willie Stargell because Milo went to Willie and said, 
Hey, tell me about this guy. He's like, man, he's like a, he's scrappy. He's like scrap iron. And then he said, Dave Parker also told him he's scrap iron because the ball would clank like a garbage can off his, and I said, no way. And, and I started laughing. He said, so I definitely went with Willie Stargell's version. So is that story true? That's an absolute true story. Uh, Willie Stargell, <laughs> when I got traded to, to uh, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, I, we, we went, to, we did a, a during spring training, down into Puerto Rico and played against the Phillies for uh, Roberto Clemente's foundation down there. It was a great trip, and I thought it was fun to go down there and and do that. And so I just just been on the team a couple of days when Milo did in, interviewed Stargell, and he asked Stargell about this guy Garner that they traded for, and he said, "Well, he's a little feller." He said, "But by all accounts, you can bend him and beat on him, but you can't break him. He's a tough dude. He's like an old piece of scrap metal." And Milo picked up on that. He's calling me scrap iron, which that that's the version I like. Dave Parker likes to love to tell the story. They call him scrap iron because every time the ball hits his glove, it sounds like it's hitting metal. <laughs> <laughs> Parker, Parker and I were, ended up being great friends, but, boy, he had some good lines, and he could beat up on me pretty good. <laughs> hey, Phil, I, I'm curious. I always love talking to guys like you who have been around the game for so long, and, and you, you're a lifer in this sport. Who's your favorite player? Like wh- whether it be a guy that you just enjoy watching, or uh, that when you were managing you couldn't get him out, or you loved having him on your for whatever reason, right? You could take this wherever you want to. Who's your favorite baseball player? Well, I I have to, I, I can't say that I had one single favorite because every time while my manager career, uh, my playing career, I loved to watch Pete Rose play. Loved to play against him. He was some kind of just. Uh, one great competitor. It's just hard to beat him. You couldn't get him down, and and I appreciated the way he played the game. When I started managing, you know, I would think that uh, there were a lot of guys that I thought were my favorite players. Robin Yount was was my favorite player until I saw Roger Clemens, and then Roger Clemens was my favorite player for a while. And then when we played against the Astros, I couldn't get Biggio out, and I was so mad because he had all that armor on, and if he threw it inside, he was going to take the hit. And if you threw him outside, he'd somehow find a way to get the ball in play. So he became my favorite player. So um, I, I'd have to put him in a category. Uh, Robin Yount was one of the all-time great players on my, my team. Um, Roger Clemens is a special human being, and he I think he's a, a Hall of There's no question he is a lock for the Hall of Fame. He should be in there. Jeff Bagwell and, and Biggio were absolutely fabulous players as was Lance Berkman. I enjoyed all of them on the team and I'm probably forgetting somebody if I, if I could sit down for a few minutes and think about it. Well, for, However, about, for, hey, today, Phil, for like, for like a month, you know, Carlos Beltran was a first ballot hall of famer in the playoffs. Yeah. So we saw that. There's no, there's no question. You saw that in St. Louis, but for today, I, when I, re- when I retired as a manager, uh, I don't know if, if retired or fired is the right word. Manager. <laughs> When I was 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 retired uh, as a manager, I I got I, there was a lot of things I wanted to do that I hadn't been able to do as baseball. So I kind of got away from baseball a little bit, and then I started noticing Altuve when he first came up with Houston. And let me tell you something: that kid is fun to watch play. Now I've I've learned about him through AJ Hinch. AJ and I became friends, close friends, and so I asked him about um, about. Uh, Altuve all along and he just reports that he is a terrific kid just loves to play the game so 
you know, for anybody that has a question about baseball and the type of people that play it, just watch Jose Altuve. He loves to play. He's a little man. He's, you know, they told him he had to change his swing because he was, you know, he trying to hit home runs. They told him they wasn't sure he's going to be able to play. He had to fight all the tooth and nail to get to where he is. And this kid's going to be a Hall of Famer. He will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And by the way, he didn't cheat. So all those things make it fun to watch this kid. And and uh, so I, I tell you what, I watch every night on TV because I enjoy watching Jose Altuve. And, and, and so, you know, you got to love a bunch of other guys that are playing on the Astros team too. They We've got some really terrific guys can hit. But today there's a ton of great kids in the game. Tatis is a fabulous player. There, you know, I could name off 20 kids that are young kids under 25 that are super, super players. And they're fun to watch. They play the game hard, and they're fun to watch. And so L2 is my favorite today, though. My, my final question for you, Phil. Coming through St. Louis at that time period you did, there was so much pressure put on the opposition because of how Whitey managed, and he had the personnel that fit the way that he wanted to play. It was on the turf. It was a big ballpark. They were running wild. From your perspective, what was it like coming through St. Louis? Well, the first year I got there, i got to tell you this. We walked down on that turf for a doubleheader one day, and the television guy was trying to fry an egg on the side of the turf, and it almost <laughs> fried. And so Willie Stargell, he said, look, boys, this is what the slaves did. When we the black slaves did when they first came over to America, and they were slaves, and they took a cabbage leaf and they put it on their head. So Willie had had bought a couple of heads of cabbage, and we took some cabbage leaves and put them underneath our hats. And we also had ice on the floor of the dugout because if you didn't, with those old steel spikes you had in those days, you get blisters on the bottom of your feet. That's how hot it was out there. Well, Stargell had the last laugh because about the fourth inning. I don't know if you guys know about cabbage. If it gets hot and starts to rot, it is the worst smelling stuff on the floor. <laughs> and that dugout smelled awful at about the floor. The stars was over the corner laughing. It was it was hilarious. But that's what I, one thing. That's the first thing I remember about St. Louis. But you're absolutely right. He had speed. With e. T. McGee, he was, and what a fun player he was. And um, I, I'll tell you, there was. And they had good pitching. So the Cardinals were a sound baseball club then, and I think that's been their, their legacy. They, they're a, an organization that teaches the game properly, and they expect their players to play it properly, and they have over the years. They, they've been a solid, solid performing organization. And I love to watch the Cardinals team because you know they're going to play sound baseball. Hey, Phil, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on here in St. Louis. I know our fans really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we'll see you sooner rather than later, and maybe you'll get back in the game. Who knows? Well, I'm uh, I'm enjoying driving a tractor now, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably pass on that. <laughs> I got you. Hey, hey thanks okay. again, Phil. Really appreciate it. All right. You bet. That, that's Phil Garner and a fabulous career, 16 years as a player, managed uh, Milwaukee, Detroit, Houston, those teams going back and forth. Uh, early mid two thousands, when Phil Phil was called in, and um, and his team caught fire. It was just one of those things where managerial change. I think it was Larry Durker at the time, but then Garner, uh, Garner came in and um, and changed everything. So that was fun. That was fun to visit with him. He was great, and um, he mentioned one of his favorite players from back in the day was Robin Yount. And Dan, 
I don't think that he's a guy that gets enough respect because we, we, we're we going to talk over the next year or so, I would imagine, about Derek Jeter now that there's this six-part series coming out on him, which is crazy. If you look at some of the numbers, Robin was every bit as good as Derek Jeter was as a player. Like, if you just look one for one at the numbers specifically, and I know what all the postseason achievements are about Derek Jeter. It's not a one-man sport, but it's another conversation for another day. They're eerily similar between those those two players. Did you see, I don't know if you, I follow, I think it's the Players Association or it might be the Hall of Fame on Twitter. And there's a recent post put out in video post with Robin Yount. And he said, if I could talk to any player and if I could talk to myself, I'm paraphrasing here. One of the things that I wish I would have done, or at least I would tell players now, you never take a pitch off because... You never know who's in the ballpark for the first time. And I it, this just resonated with me. It's like, man, that's great to hear from a guy that's got well over 3,000 yep. hits, played center field, played shortstop, part of the 1982 team that was one win away from winning World Series, Hall of Famer, as you noted, great player. But he said, you have kids in the ballpark and you have families that are coming to the ballpark for the first time, and you never know what will stick with them when they watch you. So never take the time for granted and never take a playoff. I just thought that was amazing. He said that would be my message to the the players of today. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to look at it. And, I mean, I, when you say that, the guy that immediately comes to mind for this Cardinals team Arenado. is Nolan Arenado. Yep. Like, that dude never takes a pitch off, much less a playoff. It's, it's amazing to watch. And I also loved, I, I wrote this quote down from Phil Gardner. He said, it's, about, it's all about how the batter fits into the team. How about All about how the player fits into the team. Not just about how good a player but how he fits man. you look at the way that this lineup this team kind of fits together and for so many years from like 2016 to 2019 really this Cardinals team it was it was fits and starts two hole hitters were batting sixth and the other way it was just kind of a mismatch of players it was an island of misfit toys in a lot of ways this is the first time where everything's starting to kind of fit into place the way that it feels like it should for this team. 17 and 8 since they moved Dylan Carlson to the two spot. Tommy Edmond, a switch hitter, has been outstanding at the top of the lineup. Goldie batting third. He's starting to heat things up. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And then you have right now what would be in the conversation for the MVP of the National League, and that's Nolan Arnato. Can I ask you on the other side where he ranks among the best players that you've seen in a Cardinals uniform? Oh, yeah. Because he's he's gotta be he's up, up there. there. He's he's rising the charts very quickly. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. First pitch is hammered out to deep left. It's at the wall. Gone! Two-run blast for Goldie. And Goldschmidt hits it a ton out to deep right field. One hopper off the wall. Edmund will score. Goldie trots into second base with a double to score. Tommy Edmund, one nothing. St. Louis. If you're not paying attention, the guy is starting to get pretty hot. And 317 here in the month of May, three home runs. He's driven in 10. And the April month was 214, the average. However, you got to. This is where the deep dive does tell you a little bit more when you start looking at hard hit percentage. He was in the top five for the better part of this year. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. Now he's starting to hit. And the other thing I noticed last night was 
the fact that he was letting it unleash a little bit with his swing. I hadn't seen him do that. So Paul Goldschmidt off to a good start here in the month of May. You're asking me about my list. So I've been around the Cardinals since the mid nineties and I, I got one guy that was like the must, what was the question? The must see guy the or best, best players you've okay. seen in a Cardinals uniform in the time that you've been covering the team. So, so like 25 years now, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's one and one in a separate category. I guess you can figure that out. I'm going to go ahead and say that his name rhymes with Schmalbert Schmuelholz. It was Brendan Ryan. And Brendan <laughs> Ryan no, Brendan Ryan actually was a very good defensive player. But, uh, yes, it was Albert Pujols. But there's some other guys that came to mind when you're, when you're talking about this. And moving up rapidly, I, I want to see a full year of them, of him playing, and then year two and year three. But Nolan Arnato, watching him every day. And this is in no particular order. He's on that list. It's been a privilege to do Yachty's games. I've done them since he came up and called his first hit, called his 2000th hit. A lot of milestone moments for him. But Yadier Molina is is on that list. Watching Jimmy Edmonds play every day. The MV3 was fun to watch with Pujols, Edmonds. Scott Rowland is on my list. Scott Rowland, to me, is headed to the Hall of Fame. If not next year, the year after that. Uh, the, the Cy Young season of Chris Carpenter, we just had Phil Garner on for those who just uh, tuned in, and he talked about Roger Clemens being a surefire Hall of Famer. Numbers would bear that out. Obviously, there's some cloudiness around that. But there was a game down the stretch in Houston, and really it was between, in my mind, Carpenter and Roger Clemens to win the Cy Young, and they just happened to match up on that day, and Chris Carpenter was awesome. He either went eight or nine innings. It was just fantastic, so that would be it. Matt Holiday comes to mind, too. Matt Holiday is on my list of guys that I wanted to see every single day in the way that he competed. Mark McGuire, back in 98-99, was must-see TV. And I'll throw in an odd one maybe for you, but back in 99 and doing the games, I loved being around Willie McGee. I didn't care what his numbers were. I just wanted to see Willie play because I loved Willie McGee. So those are just some off the top of my head right now that I'm thinking of. If I forced you to go number two behind Pujols, I won't make you go through five, but... Albert Pujols is a clear cut. Everybody would agree. Number one over the last 25 years. He's he's the best player. He's the best player for the Cardinals. After him, who would you put to? I think it's got to be Yachty. Um, and a lot of it to me, BK, is the intangibles of what he does. Now, is he hitting 30 bombs? No. Is he going to hit 300? No. Is he going to be among the league leaders offensively? No. But he has a signature moment in 2006 with the home run that he hit off Aaron Heilman in Game 7 at Shea Stadium. He's got over 2,000 hits, 2,000 games played, and he's been the preeminent defensive player of his era at that position, and he's going to the Hall of Fame. So while it may not be really flashy on some of these things, watching him play every day, and I've said this a bunch, when he's gone, you're going to notice it. So you're taking in, don't take it for granted what you're seeing here because you're never going to see it again. It's interesting you mentioned him because last night I was looking up some of the MVP voting over the last decade, right? Because BT said yesterday, like, this is the best Cardinal, Nolan Arenado, since Albert Pujols. And it makes sense when you hear that. Like, of course it is. Yeah, he's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, sure. But then I was like, man, that... That's true. Like, that's kind of crazy to think about. I I heard them talk about that, too. I'm not necessarily in total agreement with it. Now, here's the the argument. Over the body of work that he puts together, will he be the best? He's got to stay healthy. We're watching him for a month and a half. If you're going on pure talent right now, yeah, you can make the case for it. But I can tell you that Carlos Beltran had a couple of nice years here. Lance Berkman had a hell of a year. Amazing. Yeah, he had two years here. The second year he was hurt, but he was really good in that one year. 
Matt Holiday had some exceptional years here. Matt Carpenter had a year where he was fourth in the MVP voting in 2013. That's right. So, you know, I could make that case for just a one small sample size, but in terms of the whole how good a player is over the the time he's going to be here, yeah, this is probably the best we've seen. And so I looked up the MVP voting over the last decade, Dan, and here's the list of Cardinals that have finished in the top 10 in the National League in MVP voting over that decade. Matt Carpenter in 2018 finished ninth. That's the season that we all harp back to where he got off to a slow start. Everything flipped in like May and then boom, was hot down the stretch. Adam Wainwright was eighth in 2014. Yadier Molina, back-to-back seasons, 2012-2013, finished top five both years. He was fourth in 2012, third in 2013. Matt Carpenter was fourth that year. And then going back before that, it's Albert Pools, who finished fifth in 2011 and second in 2010. Lance Berkman was actually seventh in 2011 as well. And, you know, it's funny. We don't mention pitchers. Now, I mentioned Carpenter for the one year. Adam Wainwright has had some really great years since Albert Pujols left. So you can make a case for him. The thing is, I think when you talk about like your 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 favorites of all time. Now, Bob Gibson is in a group all himself, but we're talking about players that play every day, everyday players that you watch day in and day out. And in this case, if you have a ticket to go to the game this weekend, do not take your eyes off of Nolan Arenado. He is fidgeting everywhere in the dugout on deck. Between pitches, he's constantly moving, and he never takes a pitch off. I didn't realize that about him. I knew he was great. I'd seen the great highlights. I'd seen him six times a year when the Cardinals would face him, and he did damage against the Cardinals, and he made a couple of like remarkable plays. He still has made the best play by a third baseman I've seen going back on a ball, and it's not the play that he made this year. It was when he was a Rocky, and he went down the line, BK, in shallow left and made the catch over the shoulder back to the infield where the the stands actually jet out and then go in you know they yeah. widen as you so take it from going from the outfield in he made that play at that part of the ballpark it's the best play i've ever seen like that so i saw samples of it but he t- he doesn't take a pitch off and that's what i i just admire about him it's great it's amazing to watch it really is and uh we got a really interesting text dan from the 636 guys how many red jackets do you think are currently on this cardinals roster they say that they believe there's at least 5 on this team well i mean we can we can go ahead and say yadi and wayno well Done. for sure we can add those in so you're right two that are guaranteed i think nolan arenado is going to get there Stays um, here, stays healthy, yeah. That I, I think that's a no-brainer. And then it becomes a little bit more interesting. Like, after that, who are the other guys? I think if Jack Flaherty stays, I think he's got a pretty good chance to do so. You had the second half of 2019. That's always going to be remembered. What we're seeing so far this year, I mean, he's got a chance, Dan, over the last probably 30 years to go down as the third best starting pitcher for this Cardinals team. So I would think he would get there if he stays. Um, and then after that, I, that's where things get really kind of dicey. I mean, you start projecting with guys like Dylan Carlson, for example. What about Matt Carpenter? I think you know my stance on Matt Carpenter. I, I think, think he's, he's a red jacket guy. Now, it's not ending gracefully in terms of the numbers, and he's not an everyday player. Look, I get it, the extension, we all can debate it, but I'm just trying to take a very cool headed approach. Look at his numbers in St. Louis. He's going to finish up in the top 15 or top 10 of a ton, if not most, offensive categories in St. Louis while doing it as um, a third baseman, second baseman. He's bounced around. And again, this is recent bias that you're going to talk about and say, well, no way Matt Carpenter is. 
I understand that. He's not an everyday player. Hasn't had a good year. Hasn't Didn't have a good year last year. 19 was a, a struggle. I get it. That's three years. But the body of work, when it's said and done, he's going to be a longtime Cardinal. And the body work will show it, BK. And I, I know you probably have the numbers uh, at your fingertips. And again, understand what I'm saying. I'm looking at the full body, not the recent biasy of this. He is a and has been a great Cardinal offensively. It's just that's a fact. Look at what he's done in doubles, walks, on-base percentage, slug at times. If you break a stand the man record, like you've got a chance, right? He broke the single season record for doubles in a season. I it, I think he's I think he should be in. I understand that the last couple of years, as you said, and it, it can't be undersold. It's been rough for Matt Carpenter in a Cardinals uniform, and the extension was rough for him, but. He still has 2012, 2013, all the way up until 2018, 2019. That's his resume, and And it's outstanding. The other guy we didn't talk about, and he'll wind up playing six years here in St. Louis, is Paul Goldschmidt. That's the one that I was curious about. I I wonder on him. Um, I think he's got a chance. I'm not sure he ends up getting in, though. I'm not sure. Well, if he... To me, he's going to hit 25 and drive in 80 to 100 this year and be a finalist again for the gold glove, whether or not he wins it, up for debate. Um, you know, you never know about how the back end of contracts at an older age are going to look. You know, could the, some of those numbers, you know, just by the way it happens naturally, the numbers will drop a little bit. But it's going to be a pretty darn good seven, seven, six, seven-year run that he's going to have here. And here's the other part, too. If they win a championship, that always makes it a little bit better. You know, he was part of this club. And that's, people forget, by the way, Matt Carpenter has a ring from 2011. He was up briefly, and if you make an appearance, you're going to get a ring. Now, he he picked up his first hit. I think memory serves correct. It was a base hit down the left field line off of Kerry Wood. Why I remember that, I, do, I don't know why, but I do. Uh, that was his first hit in the major leagues. But he was, so he's been here for a long time, going back to 2011 and part of whether you want to say he was a big part or not a big part, doesn't matter. He was part of it in 2011. So if you win a championship in your time here and have postseason success, that also defines the era, and I think it makes it easier for people to, to cast that vote. It 100% does because it makes all of the other memories kind of go to the wayside, right? Any struggles that a player's had, now you are remembered for this one crowning achievement that you had with your team, and that's how guys like Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson, and yes, I know, I, I actually think Harrison Bader maybe even, like those are the wow. guys where you start putting on to that track. If there's a championship, it would have to be a championship, and they would have to to stay here for their entirety of their careers but that's that's where that stuff starts becoming interesting in the meantime though i think it's yadi wayno arenado carpenter and then you kind of see i would set the over under at like three and a half right now fun show today thanks to phil garner for uh, coming on the program he was great if you didn't listen to it go back and take a listen talks about his time in the big leagues going through st louis and the the competition when he was manager of the astros and the cardinals in the mid-2000s and as always our podcasts are presented by i promise just downloaded off the 101 espn website you have a great show coming up with uh alex yeah looking forward to it today we've got david kaplan from espn 1000 in chicago coming up at 11 15 we'll talk about tony la Russa, the cub series with him we also have joey vitale unfortunately have to talk about the blues and what happened last night because oh boy first 20 minutes not so good everything after that though looked a little better what does that mean for game three we'll talk about that with alex coming up here in just a bit you've been listening to danny mac show with bk the podcast powered by i promise
Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.